Welcome to The Staggering Truth, and I'm your host, Burton Staggs. In today's episode of The Staggering Truth, we're going back to Decatur County, Tennessee, where basically my crime reporting career began. Decatur County has seen its share of mysteries. In 1999, a young mother named Christy Moon disappeared. There have been no arrests. Her body has not been found. In 2012, Decaturville Fire Chief Kenny Fox responded to a call. During that call, the building collapsed, killing Chief Fox, but not before he could save his men. That act has been declared an act of arson, which, if the person who started that fire is ever brought to justice, they could face the death penalty. And of course, in 2013, maybe the most talked about case in the state of Tennessee occurred in Decatur County. Of course, I'm referring to the case of Holly Bobo. But today we're going to go back to November the 9th of 2012. And we're going to talk about the murder. No, let's call it the execution of Wesley Conway. Right outside his residence in Decatur County. In the early morning hours of November the 9th, 2013, a call comes in to the Decatur County 911 office. That call insinuates that a man has shot himself. Officers respond. They find the body of 28-year-old Wesley Conway in his vehicle. Looking at the autopsy, Conway has been shot in the head, in the neck, from the rear through the back of the truck. It's a dark night. It's the day that deer season is going to begin. And in a few minutes, you're going to hear an interview with Wesley Conway's father about what that day was like and what the last six and a half years have been like for them. But this case is highly unusual. I've been looking into it for about two years. Let me tell you how I found out about this case. As I was working the Holly Bobo case, I went to eat with the producers of uh, one of the major television shows that you watch weekly. We went to a catfish restaurant down on the river. One of the young ladies that worked at that restaurant was Wesley Conway's sister. She brought it to our attention that night. I worked through the Bobo case for several more months, year, and I looked quietly into the Wesley Conway case. Spoke to the sheriff, spoke to investigators, spoke to other people. A few months ago, I decided that it was time that we looked more into the Wesley Conway case. And after taking a few months off to refresh my batteries, because 
of handling nothing but death and murder and meth and things like that for about two and a half or three years almost exclusively, I took a few months off. A few months ago, myself and Heather Cohen from HMC Investigations went and spoke with Mike Conway. Um, I I also met with uh, Mike Conway, the father of Wesley Conway, at a restaurant in Decatur County, and we had a long conversation about this case. This case intrigues me for a lot of reasons. The first reason is that there was already there was an arrest made in this case. There was an indictment made in this case. That indictment was thrown out. There's some very questionable things about this case. There are very questionable ways about how the previous sheriff's office handled the investigation. And I want to clarify before we go into the interview with uh, Wesley Conway's father that I am in no way accusing any officer of a crime. I think what we have here is officers that are way too familiar with the people and the criminal element in that county. I don't think that they are what you're calling dirty cops. I think they're dirty cop. excuse me, I think they're cops that are working their CIs, they're gaining information, and sometimes they don't want to burn those CIs. But I also know that something isn't right in this case. From what I've gathered from the indictment, from the discussions, some of the early parts of the investigation and information that was relayed to possibly to suspects leads me to believe that there is definitely something amiss. Not accusing anyone of being a dirty cop, but I am saying that there is something in Decatur County that smells fishy, and it's not the river. As I told you earlier, this episode of The Staggering Truth is going to be a little different. A parent of the victim is available and willing to discuss the murder of their child, the burial of their child, and what it's been like going through the last six years with no answers. Won't you take me back to the, the first day that this happened? Okay. Uh, it was, uh, about, uh, let me get my, let me get my thoughts together a little bit. Okay. I mean, you know, it has been a little over six years now since this happened, but it was, uh, about five minutes to five on a Saturday morning, opening day of muzzleload season, uh, November the 9th, 2013. 
I had come in from work. I was working out in South Carolina on a nuclear plant. And uh, I had came in from work. We had left up there about, uh, say, around 4.30 or 15 to 5. I got home about 11.30. I saw Wesley and two or three more guys at the down at the barn, I guess you'd say. He had a room down there that he kept all his hunting stuff in. And uh, he had texted me all day trying to get me to go uh, muzzleload hunting with him the next morning. It, it, it was opening morning mudload season, like I said. And, uh, of course, I was give out, and I was making every excuse in the world not to go. I told him we'd go Sunday morning. And uh, come in, back my truck up to the port. I went in the house, took a chair, went to bed. It was around 11.30, 15 to 12 at this time. And... Uh, by the time I got actually got in the bed, uh, the next thing I remember is hearing the sound of an ambulance, the siren, and uh, I got up to go check and see what's going on. We had a lot of elderly neighbors and stuff, and I thought maybe something happened one of them. So I had got up. It was right around two or three minutes till five is what I can remember best. But uh, I actually thought they had, when the ambulance had pulled in the, to, the, to the barn down below the house, and I actually thought that they had maybe missed the driveway or missed the road and was turning around, is what I actually thought in the beginning. And I actually shut the door and went back inside and told Tammy that, uh, you know, that I thought that maybe they had missed a turn or something and they were leaving. But she had. She stayed up, and she said, no, they're not leaving the barn. So I thought maybe, you know, they had cut their lights and the sirens off, and I thought, well, you know, somebody has fell or somebody has accidentally hurt themselves somehow down there at the barn, all them boys playing around. So I got up and put my boots back on, started to the barn, and the ambulance was still sitting at the barn, so I didn't, I really didn't think a whole lot. I really thought somebody was just, had had an accident. And uh, when I, about halfway to the barn, I was telling myself, well, whatever this is, it ain't going to be good. You know, it, it can't be good, the ambulance is here. But I never dreamed that I was going to, what I was about to find. And, uh. I met one of the sheriff's deputies was walking up the driveway from the barn to the house, and I met him and just asked, just asked him, I said, hey, what what's going on? And he, he said his actual word was, it's Wesley. When he said it's Wesley, I thought that, you know, it was opening day of muzzleload season, was he cleaning his gun and it go off and shoot him in the foot? Uh, you know, had he, was he getting things ready and he cut his hand real bad or what? You know, what was going on? And I said, well, are they, you know, and I, I just asked, I said, well, they going to have to carry him to the hospital. And he said, no, he's, no, Mike, he's gone. And I, you know, from that point on, it was more or less shock and, 
just, you know, just disbelief is, you know, is, am I dreaming? Will I ever wake up? You know, reality was that I really was standing there, but I still, you know, as a parent, you think this, you know, this don't happen to us. And uh, I was, I was standing there living it. So, so it does happen. Uh, you know, they, they asked me not to touch him. Uh, when I got down there, Wesley was sitting in the pickup. There was a gunshot. It had shot the back window out. It had hit him in the back of the head and come out and hit left cheek. Uh, he was clean as a pan. You know, they <laughs> for a gunshot wound, it, it was very clean. Uh, the truck door was wide open on the pickup. Uh, all the lights, something, my lights stayed on at the barn. We raised coke. We raised horses, and uh, we kept lights on down there 24 hours a day. I mean, it was just lights. It wasn't like it was running the bill up. And sometimes we'd go down there and check on a, a horse, you know, at night or, you know. And, and like I say, he stayed there a lot. So whoever turned the lights off, they knew. They knew how to do it because not just anybody could do it. Uh, you know, Law enforcement was there, and and they were trying to try. They were trying to keep us from maybe doing something that destroys some evidence or something. Of course, you know you got a child laying there dead, or you know, Wesley was twenty eight years old. He he was he was a grown man to most people, but he was still our child. And uh, you're just trying to, you know, you're just in shock. I mean, still today, when you try to talk about it and you try to think about what to tell, it's just, you know, you still you still go back to that point when you were in shock. You don't even remember really a whole lot of what you saw because you were in such disbelief. Uh, but anyway, uh, I finally had to go back to the house and, tell Tammy, you know, that we had lost her son, and and uh, it's just been from that point on, the TBI showed up, uh, they wanted to go in the room, we made sure that they could get in the room, and it was just, uh, it's just been a waiting game ever since, you know, in the beginning, it was, we saw them, you know, we saw law enforcement quite a bit. Uh, as far as TBI, we didn't see a whole lot of the sheriff department. That was a kind of a disappointment to us. We we really thought that uh, I, I guess we really had more confidence in the sheriff department than we should have. But uh, TBI, you know, they stayed in touch, and uh, you know this thing is drug on and on until you just lose confidence and. And I'm not saying that I've lost complete confidence in the TBI, but, you know, just uh, if they would just, you know, a courtesy call, I guess you could say, just to kind of say the wheels are turning. They don't have to tell us what's going on, but, you know, just let us know, let us know something about, you know, that they're still out there. I mean, we don't, we don't hear anything, you know, we can call and, 
never get a call back. We can leave messages, never get a call back. We call Matt Stowe's office, you know, constant. You know, it was constant. We gave up. We don't even do that anymore. And he act like he wanted to avoid us rather than talk to us. Hmm. And so that's, you know, that's that's a six year. This is this story is six years old, over six years old, and that's ninety percent of what we know. So you know, right there. So and and we, and to be fair, we're talking six years ago. That was the previous administration under a, a different sheriff. Uh, different investigators, and altogether, basically a different department. Yes, a whole different department. Uh, the department we've got now, I mean, I know I don't, I know you don't like making things political on here, and I'm not trying to make it political. I'm just saying that the sheriff that we've got now has, you know, he, he has gone above and beyond what, we even expected uh, he has he has tried to keep us in the loop with what he knew and what he finds out. And, you know, sometimes we get frustrated. You want to talk to somebody in law enforcement. Keith Bird will answer the phone. You can walk in his office. He'll carry you to lunch. He don't care. He, he, he's not scared to talk about it. Uh, he's a little dismayed himself at the way things have went. Uh, this, this department... You know, him and his deputies have always showed us respect in every way. It's the best way I could put it. I mean, well, uh, well, one thing about Sheriff Bird and getting to know him through the years, and now knowing you, when Sheriff Bird and I came out and talked to you and 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 drove around, he showed me the crime scene or that area. Uh, I found out that, of course, Wesley was a hunter. Keith was mm-hmm. the game warden, so mm-hmm. so so they were familiar with each other long before he was sheriff. <laughs> very well, very well familiar with each other. Right. They, they uh, actually were. <clears throat> I guess you'd call it like the kind of like a cartoon, like the coyote and the and the sheepdog. You know they. They both had a job to do, and they were both trying to do it. Yet they stayed friends. You would catch them at a restaurant, sitting together, talking, eating together. You know, uh, they were actually had a lot of respect for Keith Bird, even back when he was wildlife officer. Uh, and Keith always seemed to have a lot of respect for Wesley, even though they had did have their differences. I think sometimes of how to obtain uh, wildlife. and uh now i didn't know this coming in but but i learned after researching that wesley was uh was a a pretty good mma fighter wesley was that's right he uh as far as i know he still holds the amateur record for wins in the state of tennessee uh which is something like 54 and 8 and so, you know, he uh, had a lot of friends in that. I mean, uh, his uh, his friends in MMA, they still stay in touch with us. We're in touch with a lot of them. We, uh, you know, if it if it's through social media or just a phone call, uh, just uh, just different things. I mean, they they haven't forgot it. I mean, they uh, 
he had a lot of respect. Uh, of course, MMA fighters they are they are real sportsmen. They're not uh, they're not just trying to beat your brains out. They're just trying to win a contest, and they want everybody to leave safe. And uh, it it's kind of odd to watch them, you know, beat one another half to death, and then reach down and try to help him up, you know, when he's when he's had it. But uh, but yeah, he was. Uh, he loved MMA. He really did. He loved MMA. He uh, he he loved hunting. I mean, he he did love hunting to uh, just you know overboard. Loved it overboard. I guess you could say. But uh, you know, he uh, he you you very seldom hear anybody say anything bad about Wesley. Everybody's got people you know that want to. You know that they didn't get along with, of course. Sure. Uh, we're not trying to say Wesley was no angel. We're just, but he was our son, and mm-hmm. that's you know every, everybody's everybody's got their problem. You know, regardless of me, regardless of me of that, he deserves or and you guys deserve justice. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, uh, he was uh, he was executed basically from from what it looks like. Somebody came up behind and. And shot him. He didn't even know they were there. Uh, and they still, you know, they're, they're somewhere out there. We don't know who they are. We don't know, uh, you know, we don't know if they're incarcerated or if they're just walking the streets, you know, and maybe maybe even smiling a little bit that they think they got away with it, right. you know. Uh, but, you know, it's... Uh, it's a tragic thing when a small town like this can have the murders that they have, and it seems like that it leads back to to just you know what are these people? Why are these people still walking the streets with some of the you know some of the crimes that they've committed in the past? And then you you think about what they have done, and you. You, you you just wonder how people with that many felonies and stuff against them. In Wesley's case, you know the the suspects, or those suspects until and you know until they're proven guilty. Right. Uh, you it just makes you wonder what was going on with law enforcement that a person could walk the streets for that many years with that many felonies and never be incarcerated. You know until something like this happens. And it's almost like law enforcement. Well, we our hands is tied because if we say anything, then they're going to say something. So, right. you know, I, I mean, I hate to put it that way, Bird. I really do. Well, but that's what we have learned in the last six years. And if anybody knows anything that could change our mind from that, we would be glad to hear it. But so far, nobody has been able to come to us and say, "Well, that's not what was going on," you know. Well, but. And that that kind that kind of brings us down a road. You brought up murders in Perry County, excuse me, Decatur County. That, of course, you had one years ago that's still unsolved. You had argue, arguably the most famous case in the state of Tennessee, not far down the road, the Holly Bobo murder. Um, that that group of defendants had a long long rap sheet 
That's right. There, That's exactly right. I mean, there is no way that Zach Adams should have been out on the streets to have killed Holly Bobo. That's that's right. That's right. Hey, and I'm all about, you know, giving people a chance. But how many chances and for how many years? You know, I mean, they're rap cheats. These people that I'm talking about, and I don't know if it's public record or not. I don't, I don't get into all that. Right. But just from common knowledge... These people have been doing this for 10, 15 years, you know, 20 years, some of them. And it goes on and on, and it's like, you know, when... It, it's almost like it's a ticking time bomb, you know. When are, is something like this going to happen? And then, oh, well, we're going to have to lock them up now. Well, it's a little bit late for some of us parents in this county. It's a little bit late, you know. Well, I, I, th- uh, I think there's no doubt that your family and the Bobo family paid a tremendous price for law enforcement. And I wouldn't even say law enforcement necessarily, but sometimes the leniency of judges or are granting probation. um, The defendant. Sometimes, sometimes Bert, it, it may be the district attorney, you know, it may be some attorney, you know, they've got a, public defender or maybe they can afford a good attorney and it's just the deals that can be made you know i mean uh you you know nobody wants to go to jail i understand that nobody does but sooner or later even if the district attorney says well we're trying to work a plea deal out you know sometimes a a judge needs to say no not this time you know not this is his 25th time you know this is not his second time or his third time. This is his 25th time to, to be caught in whatever, you know. And, you know, after a while, it just it makes you wonder, you know, just who it is that's, that's calling the shots, you know. Right. Uh, uh, let me ask you about um, one of the things that have came up is when when I first started talking to you guys or – we we've both discussed that the way that I found out about this case was your daughter worked at a restaurant when I just happened to be in there eating with one of the major networks to discuss the Holly Bobo case. And and that's how I found out about Wesley's case because I honestly was not aware of it. Um, when, when Wesley was killed, there's been a lot of people talk about um, that Wesley didn't get the um, coverage or uh-huh. the things that that Holly Bobo did, and and you've told me some things about that 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 I think are just some of the most amazing things that I've ever heard a parent say. What what when when people say that, what do you uh, how do you feel about that? Listen, this is two totally different cases, okay? You've got a 28-year-old man, and then you had a 20, I believe Holly was 20 years old, and she was a nursing student. Uh, Holly was took from her family. She was, she was, she was abducted, 
they had no clue. And where, you know, where she was at. Uh, this family waited six years just just to find her remains. Uh, the, the, the phone calls that they got, I mean, can you imagine, really, can you imagine not having no idea what has happened to your child for six years, and every time the phone rings, you're hoping that this this is going to be the phone call that tells me where she's at, and I'm going to find her. She's going to be okay. You know, we the difference is with Wesley, we knew where Wesley was. You know, we we got to bury our son. We got closure. You know, other than the closure of why it happened, you know, for sure why it happened and who did it. They, Karen and and her family went through six years of pure misery, absolute misery. We didn't have to go through that. Was it misery losing our son? Yes, it was. But for them to have to wait on a phone call, wait, you know, every time a, I don't even like saying it, but every time remains was found, they had to wait to see, is this going to be her? Can you imagine the pain and the agony that this family went through? I mean, it's, you know, our, our cases are not even comparison. I mean, not in comparison in no way. I mean, uh, uh, my son is gone, you know. But I got to stand over a coffin and, and, and say goodbye, you know. I, they, it's, you know, that, and that's how we feel about it. We, we don't think, we don't hold anything against anybody for trying to do everything they could for six years to find this girl. She could have still been alive. That's the thing. They don't know. They didn't know at the time that Karen or, or, or that Holly was somewhere, you know, that maybe she could be found and brought back to her family, you know. So, so it's just a, it's a totally different case. You know, it's, it's just, just no comparison. I mean, to me and to, and, and to my wife, I mean, I, listen, you know, I, I think that, I think that's all that matters. And, um, so, and, and we've talked about this case and, you know, I've pulled the files and I've looked at it, that there was an indictment and then that charge, those charges, a man was charged with murder. A man was charged with, with robbery. All those charges were dismissed, um, but the through looking through these things, I don't know if you want to call it incompetence of uh, how the case was investigated early on, or and I'm definitely not pointing a finger at the TBI. I think they do great work, but. Have have you seen some things that that make you question how local law enforcement of the prior administration handled things? Lord have mercy, where do I start? Uh, yeah, you know, it was just uh, there was just too many. There were too many buddy buddy deals going on at the time. I mean. We have found out since that some of the people in law enforcement, some of the deputies, were were close friends 
with some of the suspects. Uh, and when I say close friends, I'm not talking about a phone call. I'm talking about trail rides and and birthday parties and just uh, just real close friendships. Uh, I've had people. I've actually had people to tell me that. You know, they'd get a phone call, you know, uh, to come and investigate somebody. And instead of the deputies coming out and investigating, they sit down at the table and laugh and talk about drug dealing. And that's the honest God's truth. I'm not trying to throw nobody on the bus, but, you know, it's just, it was just so wide open. And it's so obvious now what went on. Uh, it's, uh, you know, they were, they, they weren't just incompetent. They, they had their own agenda. They had their own agenda. I mean, they, you know, I, I don't, I don't think anybody thought, well, we're going to let a bunch of murderers get out here and kill some young people in this community. But I think it got out of hand. I think their, their little bit of business done and stuff. I think that it got out of hand, and and uh, and people like me and came in, and. Uh, some other families, you know, we're, we're, we're getting the short end of it. I mean, that's, that's how I feel about it. I mean, you know, uh, well, as, as we go forward in this case and we're going to continue to push forward and you guys are going to continue to push forward and hopefully there'll be some movement in this case soon. I've been told that there is some movement, and hopefully we can anticipate something soon. If you could just sum it up for the people that are going to listen to this podcast, what would you want people to know about this case and your son? Well, uh, one thing that that I'd like to say is that, you know— we we know it's been six years, and I I know this case is something you know. Wesley was shot in the dark at, at night with no witnesses other than the ones that were there. You know the three or four people that were in on it. Uh, it's devastated us. It's devastated our family. Uh. You know, we would just like for law enforcement, and I'm not talking about the sheriff's department. I'm talking about the district attorney when I talk about them. You know, you know the DA. Why do you, why do you come around and tell us what all you're going to do during an election, and then by you know it's been six years and you've talked to us twice. You know, we we just want people to know that. You know, it's it's not us that's holding this case up. We get we get told all the time, oh, you got to stay after them. You got to stay after them. Look, you can make all the phone calls you want to, and if nobody answers on the other end, you don't get to call. You know, and that's just how we feel. Uh, like I said, Wesley was he was a grown man. Uh, to us, he was just a child. I mean, he was our you know he was our child. He was our firstborn. Uh, we'd had a me and him had hunted and fished and worked on the river just like his granddaddy did. And we were we were close. We had our ups and downs like any father and son. If you don't have problems with your son, you probably ain't been much of a dad. I mean, and that's just, that's, that's how, but he and I agreed on everything. He would tell me, 
daddy, sometimes you just have to take the consequences. You know, if you're willing to take the consequences, you're willing to do it, you know. And that's kind of the way he looked at things. And uh, But we would just like anybody out there that knows anything, if you know anything, if you've heard anything, no matter how small it is, if you've heard a name, you know, uh, it would be very helpful. It might be the needle in a haystack that we need for TBI to be able to wrap this thing up and us get some closure, you know, because it is tough sitting around waiting. It is tough. And I hope that's a good answer. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to put it in perspective, Bert. It, it really is. Well, I, I think, know. I think it's an absolute perfect answer. And, uh, I tell you what, we're going to move on to something else, and uh, I'm going to cut this recording off, and then we'll go back from there. Okay. Yeah. As we bring this episode of the Staggering Truth to a conclusion, I hope that the Conway family can find justice soon, justice delayed. Is justice denied? I have heard from my sources that although nothing is imminent, there is movement in this case. This family deserves justice. And the staggering truth of this case is this is all too common all across the United States. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Staggering Truth. I'm your host, Burton Staggs.